0: so Acts chapter 15, starting at verse one. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's full intent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from, from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath.
1: Well, thank you, Sarah. Well, there's a strange passage, isn't it, for our 20th birthday message? Hmm. All right. It reads like it's all about (coughs) circumcision, which is just embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, what did you do on the weekend? I went to church. Oh, really? What did they talk about? Circumcision. Conversation killer, right? A bit like being at a party and someone asks you what you do, and you say, "I'm a mathematician." You know, at church we considered circumcision, I'm a mathematician. Oh. (laughs) Right, well, I'd like to stick up for mathematicians today. If you think uh, saying I'm a mathematician is a conversation killer at a party, try saying I'm a church pastor. (laughs) That makes mathematicians look positively magnetic. All right, (laughs) so let me stick up for mathematicians today. The beautiful thing about maths is its certainty. None of this fluff about subjective opinion, you know, and, you know, alternate sides, all right? In maths, it's clear. You get a question, you work out an answer, it's either right or it's wrong, brilliant. This is a great relief. Maths gives clarity. Today's sermon is for all of those overlooked mathematicians out there. This is one for you. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, maths doesn't exactly light my fire, um, don't worry, because this is actually a brilliant chapter for our birthday. Guess what, here's the good news, it's not really about circumcision. Yes, this chapter is about the gospel, about gospel clarity, clarity which helps you to think about the best way to love people. Gospel clarity, loving people, what a brilliant passage for our birthday message, right? Okay, so let's, gonna, let's dive in. Paul and Barnabas have just finished their first missionary journey They're back in Antioch, which is where they began, and they're reporting many Gentiles have become Christians, non-Jewish people, and then in verse one of Acts 15, and please look it up on your phone if you've got it, or if you brought your Bible, keep Acts 15 open. In verse one, some Jewish Christian men, um, being Jewish, okay, they would have been into the Old Testament and into the laws and into the requirements there, including circumcision, right? So they come down from Judea, even though Judea is south of Antioch, um, it's higher in elevation, so they come down in an upward way from, from Jerusalem to Antioch with this message. They say, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Now, they're speaking to people who have already been saved by faith in Jesus, and now they're being told You have to do something else to be saved. Believe in Jesus and be circumcised. Believe the gospel and do something without which you cannot be saved. They were adding to the gospel. However, here's the point, in the process of adding to it, they were subtracting from it, all right? This is where the maths thing comes in, okay? They were saying belief in Jesus alone is not enough. In other words, Jesus doesn't fully save you through his death and resurrection. You have to add something else, which you do. And by adding another requirement to the gospel, you're saying the gospel itself, the news of how God saves us through Jesus, well, that that isn't enough. But when you add to the gospel, you see, you end up subtracting from it, because you say Jesus doesn't do enough to save us, we have to pitch in. You add to the gospel, you subtract from Jesus being the sufficient saviour, okay. Now their issue was circumcision. Well praise the Lord, that's not our issue today. Excellent, all the men say amen, amen. All right, very good. Okay, great cause for rejoicing. I mean, goodness gracious, and yet, only two generations ago, additions were being made to the gospel in some churches in Adelaide, Protestant churches. You've got to keep the Sabbath, believe in Jesus and keep the Sabbath. You've got to not drink alcohol, no card games, no dancing, no guitars, right? There was a time when this was said. David, can you believe it? (laughs) No No drums, no drums, that's right. Some Christians thought unless you kept the Sabbath, you were not saved, unless you abstained from alcohol, unless you didn't play cards, unless you didn't dance, unless you had a drum-free, guitar-free church, you know, you weren't truly Christian, you weren't saved. Well, thankfully, those issues have all been put to rest. But there are issues still that remain. What are our issues? Well, let me just highlight two that have come up regularly over the last 20 years in my experience. First of all, speaking in tongues, right? now. Often as a pastor, I've had to counsel people, disturbed people, they're not like mentally disturbed, they're disturbed because they're worried. They're disturbed because they've been told by well-meaning Christians uh, from somewhere else that have come into their lives, unless you speak in tongues, you're not really saved. What are they saying? They're saying belief in Jesus is not enough. You need to believe in Jesus and speak in tongues. And in fact, some of the passages that they went to support their case were the very passages in Acts that we've been looking at. And they'd say, well, because it was only when the Gentiles started speaking in tongues that the Jewish Christians realized God had accepted them, well, clearly tongues must be the sign of true belief, and without tongues, you're not a true believer, and therefore, without tongues, you can't be saved. Is that right? Okay. It's a pretty big problem for the majority of us who believe, who don't speak in tongues, okay? Are we not saved? Perhaps trust in Jesus alone isn't enough. You See what's happened here? Gospel plus tongues. You add to the gospel, you end up subtracting from it. Or, if not tongues, baptism. Uh, being baptized in a certain way. You know, you're only sprinkled, you need to be dunked. Um, or you need to be baptized in a certain church. I've been told several times uh, that unless I was baptized in someone else's church, I wouldn't be saved. You're adding to the gospel, that ends up subtracting from it. Uh, Of course, the temptation is you think that's iffy, but the people there are are usually on fire, you know, they're evangelizing left, right, and center, and they they seem to be the real deal. But then they, they say that they're the only ones And so if you haven't got your brain plugged in and solid in your faith, you can get derailed in your faith when baptism or tongues are added to the gospel. Well, what is it that could be, could we be in danger of adding to the gospel here? Well, who knows? It could be anything that someone regards as sacrosanct and can't think uh, that any true believer wouldn't have in their lives, and they add it on. Um, what could that be? It could be um, the need to evangelize three hours a week. I've heard that one. It could be who you vote for. <laughs> I mean, it could be anything that someone just thinks is a, 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 you know, a must. This chapter reminds us to get our gospel mathematics right. And here is the rule, it's going up here, all right. Any addition to the gospel is a subtraction that causes division and stops multiplication. There's a summary of Acts 15. I want you to say it with me, ready? Okay, one, two, three. Any addition to the gospel is a subtraction that causes division and stops multiplication. Okay, that's what we learn from this chapter. Good on you, you mathematicians out there. The problem is outlined in verses one to five. Jewish Christians come in among Gentile Christians and they say they need to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses to be saved. Now you think, why on earth would you say something so weird? I mean, are they just sadistic weirdos? Is that what we're dealing with here? (laughs) Where in the universe would that enter your brain to say? Um, Well, as the gospel spread out from its Jewish roots, remember Jesus was Jewish, and the first Christians were Jewish, but then as the gospel spread out and Gentiles began to accept the news, the Jewish Christians who still regarded the Old Testament as relevant, and of themselves being under the Old Testament law as the people of God, you can see how this question emerged. They were thinking, well, if the Gentiles become the people of God just as we are, then shouldn't all the Old Testament stuff still apply to them as well? And if circumcision was the badge uh, given to Abraham for sign of inclusion within his people, well, and now they were saying they were part of the people of God, well, shouldn't that badge necessarily come into effect for them as well? So it's not really a silly question, in fact, it's not an idiotic argument, it's a very powerful argument, and we know from Galatians 2, when these men came from Jerusalem down to Antioch, north down to Antioch, um, they withdrew from associating in church with Gentile Christians, they wouldn't speak with them. And in doing so, even Peter and Barnabas were led astray to follow them. And Paul was being pitted against James, who they were saying, no, he's, he's in our camp. Peter was coming unstuck in the middle. Their arguments weren't idiotic, they were very persuasive. And as often as the arguments of well-meaning Christians um, are, because they may say to us, your baptism was inadequate, or you haven't spoken in tongues, or your church is lacking, and we have the truth which you haven't been told. Now if Peter and Barnabas came unstuck, what hope do we have? Because it can be a very scary thing to question your salvation. Well, as we see, our first and foremost need is to be clear on the gospel, all right? Even more than our need to be clear on baptism, or tongues, or whatever it is, we need to be clear on the gospel. If you're clear on that, the other things fall into place. Well, the early church was divided over a gospel edition. What did they do? Uh, The church in Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas with some others up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders. And when they get there, a little council is formed or a meeting and they put the issue squarely in verse five. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. That's the issue. And to this, each of the apostles involved speaks. You've got Peter, you've got Paul, and then James. Peter speaks first. Now, what he gives is clarity. Beforehand, in Antioch, he'd been confused when he was led astray by the actions of these people. But now he's no longer confused. He becomes very clear on the gospel, and he urges everyone else to be, because he's had time to reflect, and he remembers from his own experience um, what God showed him through the example of Cornelius. Do you remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? He was the uh, God-fearing Gentile, the first non-Jewish person who became a Christian. And this was when you know, Peter had that vision of the sheep being let down with all those unclean animals in it and he was told to cl- uh, get up and eat and you know three times and he said no, no, no. And then, and then he went to Cornelius's and Cornelius heard the gospel and believed with his household and then God sent the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and he began to speak in tongues with the people in his household and then Peter realized if God's accepted these people, which clearly he has, who am I not to accept them? And he's reflecting on this and he thought, ah, now I've got clarity on the gospel. God has accepted Jew, um, Gentiles who believed in Jesus just as much as he accepted Jews who believed in Jesus, even though these other extra bits of the law haven't been applied to the Gentiles. Well, if God's accepted them, that gives me clarity. Okay, what's Peter shown? Next slide. He's shown that salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, right? It's got nothing to do with obeying the Ten Commandments or having badges of inclusion. These things were never required by God of Cornelius and yet God accepted him. In fact, Peter says, not even we Jews have been able to bear living under the heavy yoke of all the extra requirements of the Old Testament, so why are we going burdening Gentiles with the law when God's accepted them anyway? Through their faith in Jesus. In fact, he says, (laughs) verse 10, you're lucky that in changing the gospel message like this, God didn't zot you where you stood, because he was really tempted to do that. He uses the word testing God. Peter might remember how back in Acts 5, um, Sapphira and Ananias tested God and God did zot them on the spot. He said, well, in adding something to the gospel, you're making God's finger very trigger-happy, right? Look out. He says, verse 11, no, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are, grace alone. Salvation is always about putting our faith in what God has done for us in Christ. It's never about what we have done. This is the gospel, that's the good news. And that's the clarity. Salvation is always, only and ever, found by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's what Peter gives. He gives us clarity on the gospel. That's what we need. Secondly comes Paul and Barnabas and they simply recount all the miraculous signs and wonders God has done among them, among the Gentiles through them. They've just come back from their missionary trip, right? And they're reporting back. And they're building on the point that Peter made. Peter speaks about how God once saved Cornelius and his household without them needing to be circumcised or placed under the law. Paul and Barnabas now add to that, and effectively they say, you know what Peter said, that wasn't just a one-off. God's been doing that all over the known world, and we've seen it. We can tell you the stories. We know the people. It's been God's ongoing practice, and his proof of it, that he's really accepted them, was all the miraculous signs and wonders that God did amongst these people. I mean, God was really at work there. You can't deny it. So even though these people aren't circumcised or under the Old Testament law, God saved them. And now as they speak, the whole assembly we we read became silent and from that we infer that when Peter was speaking, the whole assembly wasn't silent. (laughs) He didn't win the argument, right? But now as people listen to what God's continuing to do uh, around the known world, the penny is dropping And everyone's realizing God is not requiring any addition to the gospel. God gave a big tick to Cornelius. He showed that Cornelius was saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And now Paul's reported back this story again. Tick, 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 tick. Gentiles saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. And then James gets up to speak. And it's right that he had the last word because he is the leader of the Jerusalem church and and um, these people who were saying this uh, were, were using James as their champion and saying, well, James would agree with us. Uh, in fact, James never sent these people, James didn't agree with them, and he certainly wasn't supporting them. And it's right, therefore, that everyone hear this from the lips of James. And so James speaks and he draws on what's already been said and then he says, Actually, what you've just heard, all those reports, explains what we see in the prophets. And then he takes us to Amos chapter nine, Old Testament prophet, where God lays out his plan, his plan to save. He says, God will rebuild his Jewish people, David's fallen tent. And we think, well, what's that talking about? Is that talking about the reconstitution of Israel in 1948? Uh, Is that talking about... Jesus reigning on earth at the end of the millennium, if you subscribe to a premillennial point of view of eschatology, um, if you have any idea what I've just said. it can't be talking about either of those things, why? Because according to James, the prophecy was already being fulfilled at the time that he was speaking through the mission activity of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. Jews who'd come to believe in Christ, who were sharing the gospel with Gentiles, Gentiles who, like the Jews, turn to God and are saved by believing in Jesus. James says, all the testimonies of conversion that we have just heard, all the stories, explain this prophecy. God has rebuilt his people. Jews have become Christians. And through them, Gentiles are now turning to God. Well, there are the speeches in Acts 15. They're very important. And they give us clarity. Peter gives clarity on how God saves people. He saves all people, Jew and Gentile, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. Paul and Barnabas say, well, that's how God has kept saving people. It wasn't a one off. James says, this has always been part of God's plan, always. And now it's happening. And the solution that James now proposes for God's church can be summed up in this gospel maths formula. He says, don't add to the gospel, because you'll end up subtracting from it. Don't divide. Work on multiplication. Verse 19, he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't add to the gospel. And then he says, um, but you need to work hard at not dividing. Verse 20, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Now, okay, you may be sitting there going, hang on, hang on a moment. You've just done a big backflip, James. (laughs) Okay, that sounds like Jewish laws. You've just said don't add to the gospel and now you're adding in lots of additions, right? Okay, they are not additional requirements to be saved, that's the important point. James is not laying down laws which must be obeyed, he's giving recommendations. Uh, He said you would do well to do these things, not you must, okay? What he has said has none of the words like must or cannot which we hear in verses one and five which the Judaizers use. Um, things you must do without which you cannot be saved. James isn't saying that. He's laying down suggested and advised, strongly advised requirements, not for the purpose of anyone's salvation but for the purpose of maintaining unity between different groups of people, for the purpose of not dividing. This is love in action, in fact. You see, James knows when God saves people by faith in Jesus, he does something wonderful and he builds something precious. It's not just an individual comes to know God through Jesus, but he builds a body together where there are deep, deep bonds of fellowship. We all believe that we are saved and have a hope of heaven through Christ alone, and he's our Lord, and he's our Savior, and this this unites massively different people like he's done here over the last 20 years and he unites us together in one body. But that unity which God creates, therefore we are not to to divide over, we're not to, to destroy that unity. We have to be really careful to try and preserve it. But what happens when you've got two vastly different groups of people? You've got Jews with all their stuff and you've got Gentiles who don't have all that stuff. You've got Gentiles who used to eat at pagan temples. They used to eat meat with blood in it, which no Jew would do. They'd eat at a temple where sexual immorality was done because by worshiping at the temple, someone's going and sleeping with a shrine prostitute. Um, they're eating meat of, uh, of strangled animals, you know, which is non-kosher, according to the Jews. So what do you do with these people from vastly different cultural backgrounds um, But the Gentiles think, well, that's that's all fine, you know, and the Jews are thinking, no, it's not, okay? Well, you love one another with sensitivity. The gospel gives clarity and it enables you to be free to love one another so as not to divide, and we mustn't divide on these things. The four specific recommendations mentioned in verses 20 and 29 have to do with the idol worship at the temple, okay? Now, what happened at the temple was abhorrent to Jews and it wasn't on for Gentiles who turned to God, especially the sexual immorality there, right? But what happened if you're a Christian and you wanted to eat food not cooked at home? There are no restaurants, there's no Uber delivery. Um, The only food you can get, aside from stuff you'd cook at home and bought at a marketplace, the only pre-prepared meals was at a temple. Upstairs they had the temple, underneath they'd have the restaurant and then they'd offer food to the idols and then you'd eat it downstairs. So the Gentiles have no problem with this because they know that the idols are nothing. They've come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. The idols are just blocks of wood. The Jews know they're blocks of wood but they think you shouldn't ever, ever worship an idol. But the Gentiles think well it's okay to eat food there because idols are nothing. What do you do with these people who come from such different backgrounds? Well, here's a solution which doesn't subtract from the gospel because it doesn't make anything a must. It's a recommendation. It's a solution which builds towards unity instead of division. It's a solution that wasn't just handed down from on high from James, verse 22, all the apostles, the elders, all the whole church were unanimous in their agreement Because they all recognized the voice of the Holy Spirit, verse 28, in the decision. So they put this in a letter, verses 23 to 29, which was received with gladness by the church in Antioch as they were strengthened and encouraged, verses 30 to 35. And we think, well, that's very nice. It's nice when people get on. Let's go to lunch. (laughs) I want you to see the enormous significance of this chapter and the decision of the Jerusalem Council. It's so big that this chapter has been called the turning point in the book of Acts. Because beforehand, yes it was always acknowledged that the goal in God's plan was to reach the Gentiles, but beforehand there was like this massive Jewish reluctance to even accept that Gentiles were Christians with them. And beforehand God has to kind of kick the apostles along and the church into realization that he has accepted the Gentiles on the same basis as he ex- accepted them, the Jewish people, through faith in Jesus alone. So God has to send visions. He has to arrange meetings. He has to uh, send tongues upon new converts. He has to now convene a church council so that the Jews, Jewish believers, and the Gentiles all realize that we are saved by the same way, through Christ alone, through faith in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. So from this, we realize that any extra requirement can't add anything to what anyone has already in Christ. Uh, if someone comes and says, you've got to believe in Jesus' end, you say, Well, you, you, I can't get any more than I already have in Christ. I've got everything. I mean, you know, I've got assurance, I've got forgiveness of sins, I've got the hope of heaven, I've got a resurrection promise. So what more can I have? What more can I have? Nothing. So any addition to the gospel actually might take away from it. Because now I'm thinking more about the extra thing that I have to do, not about Jesus. I've taken my eyes off Jesus. If you add to the gospel, you subtract. And any Addition to the gospel is going to cause division within the people. And lastly, any addition to the gospel is going to stop multiplication. But having the gospel clear means that you can multiply. And this is part of our birthday message, right? We see it happening in Acts. Once the decision of the council is taken on board and understood, it frees the church now to send out Paul again to a new Gentile frontier and thus begins his second missionary journey. Okay, this time beyond Asia Minor and into Europe, into Greece, Macedonia. But even in the final few verses of our passage today, we see the effect of multiplication, uh, even before he goes. Firstly, sadly, it's ironic, the growth comes through disagreement. (laughs) But isn't it encouraging that God can use disagreement and a parting of ways for his glory? That's worth seeing. Paul and Barnabas, partners in ministry together, they fall out with one another over John Mark, who had left them on their first missionary journey. Their first missionary journey into the Galatian province, Roman province, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, there was a lot of persecution and John Mark couldn't handle the heat and he left. And now Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, wants to take him along on the second one and Paul's saying, no, 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 he's unreliable. And Paul and Barnabas have a big fight over this, a disagreement, and it's so sharp that they part ways. And yet God uses it. Barnabas takes John Mark and keeps spreading the word in Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and heads off on the second missionary journey. It's far from ideal, but God used it and the work was multiplied. The other way that God multiplied Paul's missionary effectiveness was through him going back to Lystra. This is chapter 16, one to five. You might remember if you were here last week, Lystra was where he was almost stoned to death. Well, now Paul goes back there and he takes with him a young man, he then takes on from there with him, a young man who'd come to faith the first time Paul was there, Timothy. And Timothy will feature in much of the New Testament to come we have the books of 1 and 2 Timothy in the Bible. Well, it's somewhat ironic that after a chapter that's spelt out that Gentiles must not be required to be circumcised, Paul has Timothy circumcised so he can join with him on the missionary journey and we go, what just happened? Um, (laughs) The reason why Paul did this is because circumcision is a nothing. It is simply a nothing. It doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter if you do, it doesn't matter if you don't. It doesn't matter. A, it's free, it's an issue of freedom. But he knew that if he was going to go and speak to Jewish people dotted around, they being what they are with their hang ups, well, they're not going to listen to Paul if his travelling buddy isn't circumcised. So he says, Timothy, up you go. <laughs> Whew. Okay, missionary preparation. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so anyway but it's a nothing so it might have been painful but it's nothing so he just does it it helps the Jewish Christians oh sorry the Jewish people hear the gospel now that actually also helped Jewish Christians to accept the apostles decision in Acts 15 so in verse 4 of chapter 16 or verse 5 the churches were strengthened and they drew in the faith and grew daily in numbers because of that so here's a good example of how to deal with secondary issues. And we've looked at circumcision, we've talked about speaking in tongues, baptism, we might add, whatever, who we vote for. Where anyone says they are essential for salvation, what do we do? If anyone says you're not, you're not a true Christian unless you do this, what do you do? Well, you do what Paul did. You'd be strong in the gospel because any addition to the gospel is gonna subtract from it. It robs Jesus of his glory as the all-sufficient savior. It says he's not enough, that's wrong. You stand for Jesus, you say I'm not gonna to listen to that, you're wrong, you point out their error. So, if someone comes and says to you, you must speak in tongues to be saved, if someone comes and says to you, you must be baptized in our church to be saved, what are you going to do? You may not know all the Bible's teaching on tongues. You may not know all the Bible's teaching on baptism, though it's helpful to research those things. And and they'll say, I want to talk to you about tongues. I want to talk to you about baptism. And you say, No, 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 let's talk about the gospel. Because that's what you're wrong in. We've got to talk about the gospel how are people saved what's the basis that people are saved i want you to think of the great weight of the full stop there is much power in the full stop in john 3:16 do you remember that jesus words god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life full stop Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, "For God so loved the world that He gave his only Son, so that ever who believes in Him, is, or is baptized or speaks in tongues or is circumcised will not perish but have eternal life." No, 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 he didn't say that. There was a full stop at the end of that sentence. There's much weight in the full stop. That's it. If someone says yes, but." No, it's like, no, there are no buts. There's a full stop at the end of that sentence. Belief in Jesus is enough. The gospel, what is it? It's the announcement of what God has done for us in Christ. It's it's enough. He died on the cross for our sins. He raised to to life as our savior, our resurrected Lord. That's enough to save people. How do we, we save? When we believe that message, one part, two part, what God has done, the need for belief, and then the full stop. That's the third part of the gospel. It's enough. It's more than enough. And if you add to it, you'll subtract to it. You'll subtract from it and you'll cause division and you'll stop multiplication. So, what are we to do? Don't add to the gospel, then you won't subtract from it. Don't add to the gospel, you won't divide the church. Don't add to the gospel, you'll multiply. Happy birthday. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the clarity of Acts 15 and we pray, great God, um, with thankfulness for all who've preached the gospel and haven't added to it. Uh, in the 20 years this church has been in existence. And we pray that the church would remain strong in the gospel and really clear in the years ahead. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd guard people in their faith, but, and, and in your mercy we call upon you, the all-sufficient Saviour and Lord, to add to our number as people come out of darkness into light as they receive the gospel, and they believe it, and they place their trust in Christ. Would you be so kind? as to glorify your name through this place for the next 20 years and grow it in Jesus' name, amen.